Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes, Kevin Foote on the game. Broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction, simulcast on Stadium 32.3, 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337-706-0111, 706-0111. Great victory for the Astros last night. I got to tell you, I, I didn't. I did not expect Brandon Belak to do what he's done. Like I didn't have much. I gotta be tell. I didn't have much faith in Brandon Belak. I've seen him pitch many times over the last few years. He's had several cups of coffee in the major leagues, back and forth. And most of the time, he's had some good outings. But most of the time, eh, I don't know about this guy. He has become change up heavy when before. I don't know why he wasn't before and. He's throwing more change-ups, and he's just getting people. I, I just can't even believe what Brandon Belak has done. He's just he's can't shown, even believe it. He's giving me Colin McHugh and Chris Davinsky-type feelings about a guy who's in the bullpen, long reliever, but then starter at times. But he's just better than you expect him to be every time out. I, I, I don't – I can't believe it. I, I don't – um. I don't. I mean, you know, I, how long is it going to last? Who knows how much they're going to trust him? Who knows? But right now, I don't even care about any of that. Like, he's bridging the gap for to to wet. You know, whether it's McCullers if he ever gets healthy, or whether they actually do pick up someone at the All Star, or is it, or he becomes that guy? Like, he might become Luis Garcia from two years ago. You know that. You know, become. I, it doesn't matter. They're winning games, and he's. Pitching effectively, I did not expect any of that. After blowing a lead in the ninth, which the Astros haven't done that often over the last few years. Uh, you know, you hate losing games where you have a lead going into the ninth, but it happens here and there, um, even to good bullpens. And so those are the worst kinds of losses. And for So for them to bounce back like they did yesterday, you know, this outfield continues to produce. McCormick hit a two-run homer yesterday. Bregman is waking up. The team is I – I still don't feel like they're playing at a really high level yet, which is fine. But they're winning games. Like, they're like – what if they won like 15 out of 19 or something crazy like that? It doesn't even seem like it. But all of that's good. And, again, it's easy to say, wow, six of those wins are against the A's. Well – the A's just beat the Braves, or, you know, the way I look at it, baseball beat the Braves. The Piper beat the Braves twice. Uh, you know, I mean, um, I, I texted someone today, this morning, who was going to play. I said, it's all fun and games until you have to play a 10 and 45 team. I mean, it's just, you don't ever want to play a team. That is just, it's just, you want to, you know, like, uh, you, you know, the old statement. This is like the proverb. You know the old stable, why would so-and-so play, you, you You know, why would so-and-so powerhouse come play the Cajuns in the Cajun? Would they have everything to lose and nothing to gain? That's what it's like playing A's. It's like, man, I don't I don't like, I don't want to play them. I wish this, the Astros didn't have to play them for the rest of the year. I don't like playing those teams. 
you're just I don't, I don't even like know where it. to begin on that statement. That makes <laughs> not even not a want, remote amount of sense. It's too nervy. I don't like it. It's like I just they're just too due to win. I don't I don't ever like playing a team that's overdue to win a but game. But you did that, and then the Astros. What are the Astros six those and zero against great, the A's? Yes, now? They're, those are tremendous victories. That's the point. No, that they're no, not. That's tr- that the, see. The, the 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 common thought process would be that's like Alabama, that's like John Curtis beating Mamu, but that's not a John Curtis beating Mamu game victory. That is an incredible victory when you beat that. Now, it's it won't be an incredible victory today because they just won a couple games for a team that's not any good. But when you play any team that has that few wins and is on a losing streak. When the Astros swept him, they had lost eight in a row. And so, no, that you do not, those are tremendous victories. Some of the best victories the Astros have had all season. When you beat a team that's had that few. Like, do you realize that going into this Braves series, they had, they were on the they they had the fewest amount of wins in over a hundred years. Like you know how many bad baseball teams they've had in the last hundred years? It's been over a hundred years since a team was as bad as the A's record was going into this Braves series. So you think they're capable of beating the Braves? Well, of course they're not. The Piper got those wins. But I mean that you, you, when you sooner or later you're gonna like okay, you're gonna you're gonna be who you are. Which so I. I I don't. Those were tremendous victories for the Astros over the weekend. Is all I'm telling you. Tremendous. The okay, man does not we'll buy it. That. <laughs> he just doesn't buy it. You don't have to buy it, but that's the way it is. I'm just telling you, it ain't fun play. It's all like I said. It's all fun and games. So you have to play a ten and forty five team. Um, the NBA playoff, NBA finals start tomorrow. You know, a lot of us who are so wrapped up and, you know, I'm fixing to head to Miami and in college baseball and we just got finished with um we just got finished with college softball and or following your major league baseball team, whoever that'd be. By the way, all the people who were speaking really badly about the Yankees about a month ago, Yankees are on fire right now. They're just crushing everybody. But anyway, um, we, you know, the NBA play finals do start tomorrow, and I, I look, my, my season's made. Did the Lakers win? No, but the Lakers overachieved this year. They went further, th- and the Celtics are not in the finals, so I'm good. Anything that happens from here on out, I'm good with, and I love the fact that all the. You know, the people who just, you know, all they care about is the glamour teams. I love the fact that they're all demoyed because it's the, you know, it's the Nuggets who have never been there in the heat who were a play-in team. That is just tremendous. Um, Just tremendous. So I am, um, I, I'm, I'm ecstatic about that, but. Whatever happens, happens. Uh, I think it has a chance to be a little closer than some people are thinking, but we'll see. We'll see. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, Kevin. How you doing this morning? How are you? Oh, good, man. Hey, just uh, to pivot back what you were saying a while ago about the Astros, you know, playing the A's. I mean, it, it, it's – and I, I totally agree with you. I mean, it's like, you know, in the Saints' heyday when – 
you know, they play the Falcons who had five wins or the Panthers. It's like it seems like you just always sweat through those games. They were just much harder than you wanted it to be. Yeah. So, you know, I totally, totally agree with that, you know, for sure, that you, you don't want to play those kind of teams. And nothing nothing good comes of it other than, you know, either heartache or you, you seem to sweat it out more than you should. So, totally agree. And uh, just real quick on the Heat uh, series and also – so it's so ironic, and I know you guys don't talk hockey much, but you know we've got the Panthers who knocked out the Bruins, the the number one team ever in the NHL. Uh-huh. They had the most points ever in history, and now the Heat knock out the Bruins. You know, different round of the series, but still, you know, both South Florida teams, the lowest seeds in their division or in the league. Uh, getting to the finals is, is pretty incredible. So both of those series are going to be real interesting to now, watch. Now, what's going so, on on the uh, other great. side? Who who made the finals on the other side in the NHL? Uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the Golden Knights beat the Stars, the Dallas Stars, which that's primarily my team, just kind of proximity-wise. But uh, they beat the Stars in 4-2. They had them down uh, 3-0. Stars came back, won a couple of games. But, uh, you know, the Knights are a pretty solid team defensively. So it, it's going to be a real interesting series they obviously have home ice and i think that series starts on saturday so we got so, a desert team playing a beach team for the stanley cup yes that's exactly. what you're telling me exactly exactly and the, and the other thing about it is the panthers have had by the time saturday comes they will have had i want to say 10 maybe even 12 days off and i don't know if that's a good thing for them because you know they they had to grind it in the last month of the season to even get into the playoffs, and then they've just been playing, you know, almost every other day since then in the playoffs. So I'm not sure if that that big of a break is a good thing for them, but we'll we'll find out on. on I Saturday mean, that would be like do. Minnesota and UConn playing for the baseball national championship, like right, exactly. like the old school <laughs> exactly. original six fans of like the Red Wings or the Canadians. They must be like just just oh, throwing yeah. up right now. Oh yeah, totally, totally. Two uh, two teams. I mean, Florida had been there once, and although uh, you know Vegas made it their first year as an expansion team, unbelievably. So you know Vegas has uh, compiled a a pretty impressive history in just a short amount of time. So you know we'll see how they do if they can finally you know pull it out and do it. But uh, a lot of teams don't like Vegas. A lot of franchises, fan bases don't like Vegas just because maybe jealousy. You know the the fact that they were able to just become so successful so quickly, but. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how they do. It's, it's, it should be a good series because Florida plays a very gritty style. They have a uh, Matthew Kachuk. He's an unbelievable player. He, he scored, I think, five overtime goals in the playoffs, game-winner overtime goals. So it's, it's, he's on an incredible streak. So it should be a pretty good series. Hopefully Florida won't be over-rested. We'll see how it goes, though. All right. I, I appreciate right, it very much. Thank you. Bet, you. Great show. Well, it, before they had all that rust, didn't they play like multiple overtime games though, Florida? So they like they they might have like gotten too much for a while, and then so they maybe they needed the rest. Yeah, hockey's crazy to me too, though, because it's a sport that like physically kind of feels like football as far as the physical demands, and yet they play like a million games. I've always been fascinated by the by the turnaround there on. It's on a how, football element to basketball, kind of. Yeah, but and so you, you talk about the rest in basketball. Think about hockey. I mean, hockey is these. I'd ima- I mean, I've never played hockey, but I imagine it's 10 times more grueling physically than basketball is, and yet they play kind of the same schedule that basketball plays. 
Yeah, it is kind of strange. And I, I don't have any kind of anything about hockey. So I don't have any concept of, like in baseball, I don't think that much rest, a lot of rest can kind of work against you perhaps just because of the timing of, of like, I don't know how much of the precision um, you lose in your execution if you rest too much, you know, in relation to the, you know, the rest, the actual physical rest that you get. I, I you know, I don't know. Also, today is not June. Tomorrow is June. But I'm not going to be here tomorrow. That hit me yesterday. Like this whole traveling to Miami thing, you know, I'm still trying to figure out, you know, me, I'm, you know, people, a lot of people are getting a good chuck, a lot of me going to Miami Beach. You know, that was a big topic of conversation at work yesterday and in other circles. So, and everyone's giggling and laughing and I get it, but, um, Normally, I say I don't look at the Major League Baseball standings till June the 1st. Well, I'm not going to be here on June the 1st. So we'll do that today. And I don't feel so bad about it just because they start the season in like March now. When I first started doing that whole June the 1st thing, they were starting at like April the 6th or April the 5th. And they're starting like a week early in March. So I don't I don't have a problem moving it up a day. So at some point today, we're going to look at the Major League Baseball standings for the first time. It'll be our version of uh, NCAA region, baseball regional version of June the 1st today on, on May the 1st. But for now, we'll take a timeout and shift gears. Uh, LSU baseball, and they're in the Baton Rouge regional with Cokie Riley next. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at the game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game we have with us. Koki Riley. How are you, sir? Hello, how's it going? Well, it is um it's been an interesting last week or so. Um the Cages got an at-large bid. We found out where they're going and heading to Miami and and LSU as we kind of well, we all knew they were gonna be hosting uh, you know, we didn't know they were going to be the five overall seed or who was going, and we found that out on Monday as well. Overall, you never know which team is going to emerge and be this Cinderella-type team. Like, no one's thought Coastal Carolina was going to win the national championship, and, you know, we know all the examples like that. But overall, don't you feel like it's very winnable path for for the Tigers, what what, what, do you, what were your impressions? I think overall, with the regionals, and you include the super re, a potential super regional with Kentucky, West Virginia, or Indiana, or even Ball State. Um, I think this is a pretty good outcome for LSU. They're not running into any teams that I look at as you know very scary to see, like a Tech, for example, Tennessee, or 
a one seed where, you know, really dicey, really, really dicey things can happen because I think they're familiar with Kentucky. They're familiar with Sam Houston State and Tulane in their own regional. Um, Oregon State's a pretty solid team with some with some good pitching, but their starting pitching isn't terribly deep, and I don't know if their lineup can really can really keep up with a lineup like LSU's. And I, I just look at, it, I mean, and back to the Kentucky regional, I just look at that regional, and I think Kentucky could be kind of vulnerable to a team like West Virginia, to a team like Indiana, who've had pretty solid seasons. Um, both Indiana and West Virginia are top 30 in the RPI, for example. Um, West Virginia is a pretty good offensive team. Uh, Indiana has been more or less middle of the pack in both offense and pitching, but at the same time um, have had a pretty good year at 41 and 18. I, and Ball State's a pretty tough four seed. So I, I, I just feel like that there's no one in this region that I look at and like, oh, they're a major, major threat to, to beat LSU. Can they? Can these teams beat LSU? Potentially, for sure, if the Tigers don't play up to their potential. But if the Tigers play as well as they did in the – I'll just put it this way. If the Tigers play as well as, as, as they did in the SEC tournament, um, at least in that first game against South Carolina, it's tough for me to see any of these teams um, taking down a regional or a super regional even. Um that, that, that's just sort of my opinion here because I think they've got a pretty good draw overall. Do you, do would, would if you were going to give like I don't know if you do this normally, but I normally okay. This is the regional I think is maybe the toughest, and this is the regional maybe is the weakest. Would you have put the Kentucky regional in the final two or three for the weakest or no? Um. I would put it in the, one of the weakest as in terms of just top tier talent within a region, uh, but I would put it in, toward the top in terms of most even regional in terms of like all four teams are are fairly closely bunched together and um, and I say that in terms of all four teams are pretty solid teams like Ball State beat Kent State twice and Kent State was supposed to make this tournament and nearly did as an as an at large bid um, and they're a four seed in that in that in that regional. So that kind of tells you the quality of depth in that regional. When you have a power five team as the three, that's usually the sign of um, a stronger three seed than normal. And then West Virginia is a team that played really poorly toward the end of the season, but they, they had a chance to be a one seed and host. And then Kentucky um, as a 12, uh, we know that, you know, they're, um, they obviously deserve to host this year and, They've had a very good season, and, and they nearly beat LSU in their series here here in Baton Rouge. But at the same time, they haven't played quite as well towards the end of the season. They've been playing a little bit above their heads in terms of their talent the entire year. Um, and, and we kind of saw that in Baton Rouge as well. So I, I feel like that's a very even regional. Um, just top to bottom, a lot of the teams are kind of closely, more closely knit together than you usually see. Um, but in terms of top-tier talent, they don't. There's not really an LSU there. There's not really a Tennessee there. There's not really even a, I guess, a Miami or a Texas there. Um, teams that would with a lot of talent um, from top to bottom. So uh, it's it's an interesting regional, but it's it's not one where there's someone who can play up to the level of an LSU or a team that can easily take down an LSU. I think some things would have to happen to LSU would have to underperform to lose these teams in the super regional. I uh, think at least. Uh, all righty, so. 
the as far as Oregon State, you mentioned a little bit about him. Like, if from an LSU perspective, what is the thing that you like the best about the matchup, and what's the thing that concerns you the most? You know, if LSU plays Oregon State, like most people are figuring, what happened? Yeah, um, I think the best advantage LSU has is that if they get out to a quick lead, it could be curtains because Oregon State's offense um, isn't that great. One sixteen team wig runs created plus, which is just sort of okay. Two ninety two ninety team batting average. Uh, 79 home runs in the season. They're about middle of the pack to, to uh, they're about middle of the pack to a little bit under that um, in terms of a lot of the offensive categories uh, in the Pac-12 during conference play. So they were really an average to slightly below average offensive team in conference play, and not an amazing conference. And in a, you know, and when it comes to their starting pitching, they don't have a ton of depth there. They have one or two options and they're also a slightly younger team. So it's, um, it's an interesting matchup for sure. But I mean, this team still has talent. I'm not saying I'm not trying to drag on them, but, but uh, I'm just saying that um, as reasons for that LSU reasons for LSU to take advantage of them, because if LSU gets out to a quick lead, then uh, in some of these games, then it it could be tougher for Oregon State to come back Um, because LSU is pitching this year. As much criticism as it's gotten, it's still in the top, you know, top fifteen in a lot of important categories. Um, third in the nation in strikeout percentage, third in the nation in strikeout the walk percentage, twelfth in the nation in WHIP, eighth in the nation in FIP. Like those are very important numbers, and LSU's in the top fifteen in the country, not just in the SEC, in the country um, when it comes to a lot of these categories. So. Um, on the pitching side, and I know non-conference play bumps that stuff up a decent bit too. But and, and Paul Skeens just being Paul Skeens does as well. But at the same time, like um, they have those advantages over Oregon State. A lot of these advantages over Oregon State, the team that's kind of built around its pitching um, and its bullpen, especially. And, and that's kind of how what I want to transition to into into like what how could LSU lose to Oregon State, which obviously is, is quite possible. Oregon State's still a pretty good team. Um, they, they have a couple starting top starting pitchers who could give the Tigers trouble. Uh, but even if they don't, like if Oregon State got out to a lead and there's and it's the sixth or seventh inning, it could be it could be trouble that could give the LSU some trouble. Like this Oregon State team has a really really good bullpen, and um, that's sort of the strength of this team. And uh, they have some top tier talent in the lineup, but not a ton of depth with it. Uh, but I, I do think that bullpen could give him more trouble than not, for sure. All right, so I'm one that I don't think it's necessarily a huge problem, especially for an LSU or like the with the Cajun situation, Texas going 0-2 or 1-2 in a, in a tournament. But did you draw any conclusions in terms of LSU from the SEC tournament, or do you think it might have actually been an advantage for them to bow soon? Um, I don't know if it was an advantage from the bout soon, just given the way everything sort of shaped out with the pitching and the fact that they got more innings out of, out of um, a couple guys that you didn't really expect them to get innings, especially in that South Carolina game when Nia Hackenhausen went three and a third and um, Fetcher Hurd pitched as well as a starter. Like that stuff was, that stuff was honestly surprising. And, um, and given that they, you know, got some extra juice out of some of these secondary guys that they've been needing to get juice out of, I think that was huge, huge for them. Um, I think they proved that 
this team can pitch well enough to uh, to, to make a run into Omaha. And it, we haven't seen it for a lot of this season, but, you know, there's there's just enough there to suggest that it can happen. And granted, obviously the bullpen depth isn't as good as you want it to be still, and you, re- you really only saw it for two of those three games. The third game, it sort of crumbled apart again a little bit. Um, but, I, I mean, but combine those, especially those first two games, with some of the numbers I listed off earlier with their pitching staff in general, and you look at a big picture and, you know, this pitching staff might not be quite as bad as some of us have feared. And maybe it won't be until Omaha where it really starts fighting them in the butt. Um, um, but I, I, but I guess really the, what, what I come away from with the SEC tournament, the only major concern with this team, um, maybe not the only major concern, but a concern with this team for sure is, um, is the runners in scoring position problem where they're just leaving way too many runners on the table and, you know, losing games or being close in games where it games that they have no business being that close in and where they're controlling the game, um, are really on both sides of the ball, uh, both sides of the diamond and, and they're just not capitalizing and, um, runners in scoring position, not, not driving them in. I mean, part of that, um, on Friday had, had to do with, just the fact that Tommy White wasn't playing, but uh, but overall, like, I, I just feel like I just feel like this team is in a pretty good spot. Um, no, heading, I, in, I, heading I, into the tournament here, right? Absolutely. All right, one more thing before we go. I know you're a pretty analytical guy. Uh, a lot of people, you know, do not like you know whether it's the RPI or how the committee selects this or that or. Do you have any, maybe not an overall plan, but at least some suggestions or like, I would do this. Like, what would be your one or two biggest suggestions to change the mentality or the or the formula or whatever for, for the selection committee? Um, I thought they did a pretty decent job overall this year in, in selecting uh, national seeds and selecting seeds and and grouping together regionals. I think a lot of the stuff is sort of hard to parse because, you know, a lot of it's just the fact that some you you want to kind of group these teams together geographically. So it kind of gets tough to be like, oh, they rank this two seed way higher than this two seed or this three seed way higher than that three seed. And, um, I know there's a lot of outrage in ASU Twitter about ASU not, not making it over Arizona and um, problems with – uh, Alabama being like 16 instead of a, like a mid, but like even if the form, even if they had a better formula, I, I stuff like that's going to happen every year. It just does, right? I and mean, like this, the, the, the a computer doesn't generate these um, these seeds or th- these these rankings or who gets what seed, right? It's it's people, so you're going to get some flawed results and. Um, I think RPI is fine. I, I don't really see it as a major, major issue. Like, and I, I just see it as a tool, maybe your most powerful tool, but definitely a tool. Um, and for those who are criticizing them using it too much, I mean, if they used it right the dot, then Kentucky right now would be a two seed, would be the number two overall seed. So I, I don't think they're quite using it that. There is some logic as to, you know, Kentucky, yeah, they're number two in RPI, but we're not going to put them as a national seed, national top eight seed. So, um, or even a team like Stanford that was like, I want to say they were, what, they were like 16 or something, and they got 
a national seat as, at, at eight um, because they just sort of dominated the Pac-12 for the entire year, um, and they were awarded for that. So, so yeah, like I, I understand if you're a Boston College fan, you have a problem with them not – them not being a national seed or a Campbell fan, you were probably with them not being a national seed. Like that stuff's going to happen. Those, mis- those like small, at least perceived mistakes are going to happen. I-, I feel like the system right now is actually, is actually fine. Like um, unless you have major beef over how they pick the NCAA tournament in basketball as well, then uh, I-, I don't see how, I-, I don't see anything like major, like significant that has to change with how this is all done. Like what are your sort of thoughts on this then? Well, again, I, I, I go back to, I've been saying for decades, I, I have a fundamental problem with with getting maximum credit for a home conference victory. I just think you're going to get home conference victories. So, you know, for instance, LSU, and, and, and even on the road, like LSU, if you lose, or any team, like the Cajuns lost, the Cajuns lost... Um, you know, you can lose two out of three in a series or three out of four. Like the Cadiz lost three out of four to Southern Miss, but they still get a credit for a win over Southern Miss. That's still like a top 20 win. When an LSU or an Alabama or an Auburn loses two out of three in a series, you should not get credit for that victory. Like you lost the series. So like we got to fit. This is a series sport. So we got to figure out how to not get – you shouldn't get as much credit for losing a series as you do under the RBI. Hmm. And, That's and, interesting. That's and, and until we point. ever figure out that conference victories are just going to ha- – we've got to stop giving so much credit for conference victories. I don't know how we're ever going to do that. But that's the fundamental problem, and I don't know that it'll ever be solved. But anyway, and we certainly aren't going to solve it today, but that's just something I've always been <laughs> passionate about. But anyway, I, we appreciate your time as always. Uh, who knows? You know, next week we'll probably be doing it going into a Super Regional, but we will see. We appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline is 337-706-0111-337-706-0111 on this Wednesday. It's a strange week still for me because... You know, there was no Monday because of Memorial Day. And so it's only, it feels like a Tuesday, but it's a Wednesday. And then I'm not going to be flying out tomorrow morning to Miami. So, again, when you're when you're old and you're a creature of habit like I am, um, you know, weeks like this just get, you know, they can get like trying to make sure you're, you know, you're, you're too many things aren't going in different directions and, and you, you got all your ducks in a row. It, it can be, 
it, it, it can be a little difficult. But we'll 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 try. Um, we'll try to get it done and keep sane as much as possible. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. So um, the Nuggets, the last ABA team to make it to the finals, sorry. Well, are they the, the Nets made it? Spurs, of course. Spurs are the only one that won. In the uh, Pacers, they lost about twenty-three years ago. Uh yeah, the Nets have made it. Of course, I guess it depends. Like there were probably some defunct ones that didn't last. Like I don't know, wasn't there a team in Kentucky? Like yeah, the but they, they never, they never, they never, they never, they never made it. They never. Uh, oh yeah, they didn't they, transfer to the NBA. I got what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, God, well, look at the Colonels. Yeah, yeah, the Colonels. They, yeah. Uh, yeah, they didn't make it. Uh, uh, I kind of been going back and forth. Like, I don't, I'm not gonna watch this. Then, uh, you know, I, I probably will watch it. Um, want to see what happens. The, the reason it's hard for me to watch. I only watched one Eastern Conference uh, playoff game. Man. That was uh, Game Seven, Celtics and Sixers. Um, like I said, I was wrong. I, I thought that Lakers were going to go in their history, and I, I was wrong. But you got to get Jokic credit. You know, uh, you got to get that. They have a, a better team. Uh, their role players are beautiful, and uh, I just I think it's going six. I see the Nuggets in six. I think that's a solid prediction. You know, again, the Heat. They're doing something right because they've beat the one seed, the two seed, and the five seed. It's not like, you know, they haven't beaten any good teams, but they're doing something right. But, uh, no, I think that – and you could argue that they actually have a little more depth than the Nuggets do. But, you know, can they stop? Can they outscore them? I don't, I don't know. I don't, Is I Tyler, don't. Uh, Tyler Hero, is he coming back in the series? I thought I heard that he might come back in, like, game three or four. I don't – yeah, I haven't heard anything definite. I, I had heard that he was unlikely, and then all of a sudden they were kind of walking that back, so I don't know if there's a, a more recent update. Sounds like not game one or two, but possibly three or four. Let me ask this, man. Why are we just never – we never in the moment. Like, if Jokic win, is he the greatest ever? Can we just start putting him one of the greatest centers ever? Like, huh? <laughs> let's just – Let's just, let's just watch you. it play out. Bro. Yeah. yeah. You, know, you know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that stuff drives me crazy. The latest update, Hero's reportedly targeting Game 3, potentially. So he's he's expected to return some point in the series as of now. Uh, key matchup, look at, uh, I want to see what Butler, what he does with uh, Murray. I think Butler's going to guard Murray. I think Porter is also a key. Porter is like one of them dudes that can uh, get loose. He's the next factor to me. Um, like I said, I can't speak for the Heat, so I'm just saying Butler, but... I've seen Denver in the playoffs. I think Denver, like I said, they're going to win their uh, first title. And congrats, you know, well, I don't want to. Who knows what happened? Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, now, the center Adebayo, he needs to play some top grade A defense on Jokic. Just kind of disrupt him because you're not. Like I said, a player like Jokic, he's going to get his twenty and ten and, and, and ten assists. But can you stop him from like distributing the ball? Can you can you kind of? Get into the passing lane. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, when they played the first time, he was 19, 12, and 12. Now, you don't love the 12 assists, but if he holds them to 19, they might have a shot. The second time they played him, it was 27 and 12, but not nearly, you know, 12 assists. 
Uh, and, you know, the, the Nuggets won both games, but only by like four or five points. So I think Adebayo could do a decent job on them is the point, just based on their first two matchups. Uh, did you talk about Gruden? I didn't, but I plan on doing that. Um, yes, I will talk about that. Yeah, I plan on doing that soon. Yes. Yeah, yeah I needed to hear your input on that, man. Because I thought I thought Joey was going to talk to you about it, but he didn't uh, yesterday. Yeah, that that's on the agenda. I, I, I'm I'm puzzled by a lot of the comments I've heard about that. I will comment on that. Yes. Just get hey man. I, I'm not the type of guy to say fire guy, fire guy, but Dennis Allen, man, he make, he make it he makes it real hard man, to follow him. So like, but you have a good one and thank you. All right, take care. Um. Well, let's do this. Since, since uh, you know, since he asked, I was going to do that later, but I might as well do it now. Um, like, I don't understand why people are so concerned about this whole John Gruden thing. I think, first of all, there's a lot more consulting behind the scenes than most of us realize. I think the reason why a guy of John Gruden's age, especially, doesn't that you know may not happen more because usually a guy of John Gruden's age is still coaching another team. So to have a guy who is a longtime offensive guy and who coached the quarterback that you just signed and you're implementing him into the offense and you have the luxury of talking to a former coach who, for whatever reason, is no longer coaching in the league at the moment, why would you not want to get his input in how best to incorporate what Derek Carr does well into your offense? I mean, that would be foolish not to do that if you can do it. Like, I... I don't I don't understand like why people are are freaking out about this or even questioning it. Like it makes total sense to me. Now, I agree in this particular case there is a the separate issue of the fact that the, a, a separate issue the fact that the NFL hates John Gruden for, you know, that whole email and all that, like that John Gruden is like Al Davis right now to the NFL front office. And so are they somehow angering the NFL front office by talking to this guy who, you know, they're having, you know, a lot of issues with. And somehow, you know, here we go, the team that the Saints, you know, we hate the Saints, you know, and and now – Maybe we're not going to hate the Saints anymore. And now they're talking to John Gruden, public enemy number one for the NFL. I mean, again, that's a separate issue. I, you know, whether somehow they're angering the NFL by doing this. But, but I don't even know if that's the case because I'm tell, I think this kind of stuff goes on all the time where you consult with other coaches that run similar offenses or have similar personnel. I think it would be foolish if the Saints didn't take advantage of that opportunity. It's not saying that they don't know, you know, how to run an offense or install an offense. I mean, I don't think it has anything to do with that. They're trying to maximize Derek Carr's skill set into their offense. And so who better to do that than John Gruden? And he's available. Like, 
I, I, normally that guy wouldn't be available because he'd be coaching another team. So I, I think it's tremendous. I, I, I think it's all positive. The only negative is, you know, if they make the NFL mad. We'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Medicine season. Medicine season. Now. A season in which a college or professional sports team suffers a disappointing season due to injuries or fluky incidents, also known as paying the piper. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnote Kevin Foot on the game. Again, 706-0111 if you would like to get in. We were talking um, before the Derek Carr conversation came up with Jay about the NBA Finals. Other than, like, how many people seriously in the country predicted this final? Like, well, here's the other thing that I keep that I keep seeing that's really kind of frustrating me a little bit. And I don't blame people, but like, and I'm hearing it from NBA players, NBA analysts, just fans, where everybody's like, well, you know, we really shouldn't be surprised at all. Denver's here. They were the best team all year. And it's like, but everybody doubted Denver all year. And I was part of it because we didn't see it before. But now all of a sudden everybody's like, well, here we go. I mean, we knew Denver was the best team all year. It's like, no, we didn't. (laughs) We knew they were a great regular season team, but they've been that before and not Most analysts did not buy Denver in the regular season. We talked about that all year. Right, exactly. And now everybody's like, well, why are we surprised? And I guess I get what they're saying on one hand that, yes, they were the best team, but the reason people died of Denver is because they weren't a good playoff team before this year. It, it, It is crazy. Now, Let's say the Heat win. I just want to try to put this into some perspective before we even play game one. If the Heat win, they're they're the most unlikely world champion in the three sports that we discuss the most since win. Like, what's a more like unlikely in our in recent memory? In baseball football or basketball, if the Heat win it all as a play-in eight seed, they're only the second eight seed to ever make the finals, as a play-in eight seed. Well, the other thing, too, is I don't even count in baseball. Like, I I don't get (coughs) – anybody who makes playoffs can win the World Series in baseball, so I don't even get shocked by it. I would say the Giants, when they beat the Patriots, would be the first one that came to mind. Uh, What was that, 07? The undefeated Patriots team. Because even like when the Nationals beat the Astros, they had been winning divisions and yeah, and it's they, baseball. It's just it it's different too. I just don't think it's as comparable. But I that would be my first instinct. Answer would be the Giants in 07. Because what was that the year they were like nine and seven? Yeah, they were nine and seven. They beat the or they they played they lost to the Patriots in a close game to close the regular season. And then Eli Manning and that team just got hot and they had you know they had the pass rush and everything yeah. else, but. I mean that Patriot also because of who it was that they played. That Patriots team was, you know, one of the greatest regular season teams ever. 
didn't the John it seemed like one of the San Francisco I know baseball and believe me like it seemed like one of the San Francisco Giants like early on we were like is this team really any good like, I mean, it, well one of the were one of the Bumgarner seasons where it was just Bumgarner in the yeah. playoffs and it felt so like, like he was really, really all they had yeah I don't I don't know that was that was a little bit of a surprising one of those years but yeah I think it's gonna be on the list like. If 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 the Heat win it all, ten years from now, if someone has this conversation, that that Heat title would be in there. Of course, they got to win four more games, so we'll see how that plays out. But it's it, it it's it's pretty. I look, I'm just so thankful that they won Game Seven because it would have been so nauseating. I mean, just so nauseating. And now, you know, I think a lot of it's hyperbole. But now, oh, the Celtics need a breakup, and they needed to do it. By the way, the, the Golden State Warriors. I don't know. We didn't. We we haven't talked too much about it at all. I don't. They're like GM guy is leaving, and could that be the break? I mean, you know, yes. we'll see. I mean, that could be the breakup of that whole little deal. They could be going in a different direction now. I don't yeah, know what's behind that. It's not entirely surprising. I've heard things about that for a while now but I there was also the the idea that was floated around if he stayed they were more likely to keep the core intact if he didn't we'll see so hmm that won't that won't break my heart because I I didn't have a serious problem with him but once they got Duran I was like that is just sickening nauseating one hour down another hour to follow stay tuned broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The uh, also want to remind you, simulcast on Stadium thirty two point three at one thirty three on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is three three seven seven zero six zero one one one. Um, lots going on. Obviously, we talked about it quite a bit, and we interviewed Coach Deggs yesterday. But I, I, I still cannot get over. Uh, wrote a story for theadvocate.com for for tomorrow's paper about the pitching staff for the Cajuns as they go to this regional. And I was thinking about it as Koki was talking about LSU's pitching, the issues that it has, the perception that it is, and how it how it kind of plays out with everyone else. And we've been trying to kind of figure out ourselves on the air and kind of make the point to all of you as well that, you know, for the most part, LSU has been really good at pitching and the Cajuns have been really good at pitching over the, you know, the the decades. And so our idea of what really good pitching is, as college baseball fans of the Cajuns and are the Tigers is pretty high. And yet, in this era that we're in, I think maybe we're just it took it takes us too long sometime to to realize. Look, it's not just the Cajuns and LSU; it's the whole country, and we've been making that point a lot over the last month. Uh, probably a little too late, but still, it's there. And you know, the Cajuns 
again, they have like this set. You could either, if you, you know, you say Southern Miss is the best, the Cajuns have the second best pitching staff in the Sunbelt Conference. How? I don't know. I mean, again, understand the position the Cajuns were in about three or four weeks ago. They had essentially one starting pitcher. And his ERA was seven. They had one starting pitcher. His ERA was seven. The other one was Blake McGee was out for the year. The other one, Jake Hammond, had a back issue. You didn't know if you were what you were going to get out of him, if anything, in maybe three innings, maybe, if he pitched well. That, you know, Carson Fluno was still in the bullpen then, and, and no one at that time knew that Carson Fluno was going to be, you know, throwing six innings in the conference tournament against a nationally ranked team or a good team. Like, no one knew any of those things. No one knew Carson Fluno could go to Southern Miss and, and, and throw eight innings against Southern Miss in Hattiesburg and completely shut him down. That was not even on the radar. So you had one starting pitcher, and his ERA started with a seven. You had one consistent pitcher this year, Cooper Rawls. He has been consistent all year. That was it. You had one consistent pitcher, and he wasn't even a starter. Then you say, well, what about the bullpen? Well, at that time, Blake Marshall was struggling like he he was no you know at the beginning of the year there were some thoughts that he was going to be this big closer he wasn't doing anything a month ago like you didn't know what you would get out of him the idea that he was going about to pitch 9 and a third great innings against coastal carolina's lineup on and, and, and sweep but that was so far from anyone's thoughts there's no way anybody could have imagined that J.T. Etheridge at that point had an ERA of 7.59, and he was mostly used in mop-up duty. And now he's getting—he's just striking out good hitters in the conference tournament. All of a sudden, he's got two saves, and he's, you know, this hot relief pitcher. Like, no, there's just no way anybody could have thought that. Jerry Couch pitched nothing but mop-up duty. He had seven mop-up appearances a month ago. And since then, he's pitched eight times, and he's been actually pretty effective in competitive games. Like, no one thought that. Like there, And on top of all of that, they were fixing to play Coastal three times, Southern Miss three times on the road, Troy three times at home. I mean, again, this is it's mind-boggling. I don't think people really appreciate where they were and how they somehow made pitching a strength enough out of nothing to win a conference tournament with their staff. And I was thinking about this yesterday, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about it tomorrow as well, but I wanted to bring up the fact that when we're looking at these regionals around the country, and LSU fans are probably looking at Oregon State and Sam Houston, uh, teams that look at UL stats, like Miami and Texas <laughs> fans are probably doing, are sitting there going, well, they don't have any pitching. What do we have to worry about? When you look at Nezu's season stats and Etheridge's season stats and, like, so when we're doing that with other teams, that's something to keep in mind, by the way, in regional play. That like the other teams have Jackson Nezus, who like had a couple of horrible outings at the beginning of the year, but have been pretty good the last six weeks. So 
That's just something to no, keep in mind. No, he's been real good. But again, a month ago, there was they were fixing to play the toughest part of their schedule, and they had no pitchers. They had Cooper Rawls and Jackson Nezu in his 70 or 8. That's what they had. <laughs> and they've gotten this out of all of It's just mind-boggling to me. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. I can see you're not taking my advice. What's that? You're drinking from that Yankees cup because you're delusional. Saying that the Yankees are red hot. Come on, man. The Yankees are red hot. They ain't played the Astros yet. We all know that the Astros own the, own the Yankees. Come on. Well, man. I hope they continue to own them, no question. But why, I, why, why, why you uh, why you want to get that Yankees fan started? He's going to start calling in saying we're going to take off. <laughs> I'm just saying the they've been crushing people lately. Oh, come on. They ain't played nobody. They they gonna they, they might be crushing it lately, but wait till they get to October. They're going to fall. Uh, just like they do every year. Crushing people. But don't get that man started. Because you know how he is when, when that Yankees fan is. When, uh, when he gets started, he has high hope. You know? I'm just saying, Footsie. You know, stop drinking from that Yankees cup. <laughs> Oh, believe me, I ain't drinking from it. Okay, I'm still keeping my eyes on you. Okay. You know, because I don't know if I can trust you anymore. You got that Man, y'all lost to the know, Reds. You know? Y'all lost to the Reds at home. Yeah, but look, the Braves lost to the A's. Oh, so, yeah, I know. It's It can be tough. What you said, never trust never trust a 10 and 45 team? Oh, no, you, got, okay. you, don't, you don't ever want to play a 10 and 45 team. Okay, I'm just saying good. the Reds are not, not much better than the A's. I'm just saying. I'm, just, I'm taking your advice, Foot. All I'm right. listening to you. Don't listen to, don't listen to Paul, okay? Don't All right. In trouble. All okay. right, I'm going to go. Right. Oh, no, I'm not listening to him or rooting for him. I'm just saying. I mean, they had some cat. They got some cats on their team hitting home runs I never heard of. Was this guy Greg Allen? Is that Was that his name? Some cat hit a home run for the Yankees yesterday I never heard of. Who is that guy? It's um, you don't you know we'll 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 get to that next. But no, the 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 whole Cajun baseball thing. I I just again, I really think around that time, I think their lineup was starting to re. I, I was like, man, this is starting to be a pretty formidable lineup because you know you never know if, what you're going to get out of Aon, but because Marshock started hitting. And because Connor Higgs became about around that time became a viable part of an everyday in the everyday lineup, I think their lineup is is good. Um, but the pitching was there was just no way. Again, I I, I didn't I didn't even know if they'd make the conference tournament at that point because I'm looking, I'm looking. Well, they got one pitcher. Well, they got two pitchers. They got Jackson Nezu with an ERA of seven something, and you've got Cooper Rawls, who's been really good all year. You know, and you got like David Christie has been cons- up and down. Like at times he's really good, and at times he hits too many batters and gets himself in trouble. So he's a you know he was a pretty consist a fairly consistent go to. Brendan Moody was fairly consistent go-to at times he does well you know so it's not like they didn't have any other arms but again it just uh, it's amazing with you know because remember we came in here one day and was like okay well he they're changing they're, they're going to go to a pull, full bullpen approach 
And basically what he was saying, we got to scrap this and we got to come up with something. We can't just sit here and keep doing the same thing over and over again. So they just started experimenting. And somewhere in all that experimenting, people who changed their roles, it worked. (laughs) It worked enough to get an at-large bid. Now, Will, will it work against Texas and, and Miami or, you know, if they play Maine in the, in, in the Miami regional? I don't know. You know, I've been saying all week, it's like, will they have anything left? You know, will these pitchers like Blake Marshall and Etheridge, who pitched all these innings and threw all these pitches this past weekend, how effective are they going to be a week later? Like, and Coach Dex didn't run from that. He's like, we left everything on the field in Montgomery. And he's like, we'll see if we have anything left. He, he didn't come on the air or at his press conference Monday and say, well, we got a lot left, but we'll be fine. You know, like Julian Brock did because he's always got a smile on his face and, and everything's rosy to Julian Brock. I get it when, you, when you've got the future I think he's about to have. But um, – but Coach Deggs wasn't lying. He was like, we'll see. I don't, you know, we don't know if they have anything left. We'll see. It's, um, I mean, I think Etheridge should be fine. He hasn't thrown hardly any pitches. And even for that matter, Blake Marshall has not pitched that much in the last. He's, had, he's, he's only had like five outings, you know, five or six outings, you know, in the last three weeks. It's not, he just pitched a lot this past weekend. But is is that gonna? When well, he has an ankle that we now found out. Yeah. About. But it seemed like that should be okay, right? I mean, or you well, think that, you think we're not worried enough about that? The fact that he was able, I will say, and I, again, we're kind of maybe reading too much into this because we don't know all the details. But from what Coach Deggs told us, it was it happened during the first before you know the first inning of the first game he pitched. The fact that he then, you know, went through the break of game one to game two and was able to get it fired back up again and pitch again that same day, it gives me more hope because sometimes when those ankle injuries, yeah, if you stay hot, you can play through it, but then once it swells up, you're done. So the fact that he was able to go back out there, that gives me hope. And, you know, the the word crutches certainly concerns you, which is what he said. But a lot of times that's precautionary and just, you know, you want to put Well, that's just to get him ready. Right. You want to, you know, put him in a walking boot, put him on crutches and don't put any weight on it for the week and see how it feels. But... Um, there always is that you know risk of the swelling getting worse throughout the week. So uh, you'd imagine he look. I mean, if there's a warrior on the team, then it's Blake Marshall based on what he did on Saturday. So I'm sure if he's physically allowed to play, he's going to be out there. Um, but I think you know the more I think of it too, this is and we'll have more time to preview it. But I think this is a, a regional that the offense and that lineup that we've <clears throat> talked about that's pretty much set in stone. Like there was a time where Ben Robichaux was playing, and and pretty recently it. it Will Vayon, C.J. Willis, the guys at the bottom have been there, and they're going to play. So you got to score a bunch of runs, I would think, and you know, still get some good pitching performances. But I think it's going to be a time to try to outscore the opponent. Yeah, I think they're going to need to. And again, I don't know enough about this ballpark. Never been there. I don't even know if I've ever watched. Maybe a little bit of a game here and there, but I, you know, I definitely have not sat down and watched a full game at in Miami's Field. So what is it called, like Alex Rodriguez Field or something? I mean, yes. Um, I don't, I don't know. I think you're right. I think they're going to have to score some runs. And again, I thought they were going to have to score a run to get to the finals of the Sun Belt, and, and they won with pitching. It still can't believe. I just cannot believe 
what we've watched, but you got to give somebody some credit. I mean, it's unbelievable. You want to talk about resilient and creative. I mean, it's unbelievable. We'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do your loved ones run for cover when watching a game with you? Then Footnotes is the show for you. Time for more Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline 706-0111-706-0111. All right. The time has come. It is not June the 1st. It is May the 31st. But since I'm not going to be here tomorrow, I'm going to look, and I just did it during the break, this past break, looked at the Major League Baseball standings for the first time. And there are several reasons why I do that. One is I don't even – it does not really matter to me, other than like the Oakland A's. I guess you could say the Royals got off to such a bad start, it matters. But it's so overrated what your record is the first. I mean, we don't know who anybody is yet. We don't know, except with the exception of a team that's like really bad. Like the Oakland A's. Even the Tampa Bay Rays. Look, they got off to, in a lot of ways, an historic start. Like, just tremendous. The Yankees were struggling, and and the Rays were winning every game. And all these people, oh, fire this, this, and all these crazy statements. And I'm looking at the standings here. The Yankees are five games back, and we're still in May. Like, that's nothing. That's nothing. Now, I'm not saying the Yankees are going to catch the Rays. I don't know. But could they? Of course they could. I mean, it's five games. I mean, that's nothing. Um, I, the point of all that is it's it, it, June the 1st is when you should start even thinking about what the standings are. And still, you're so far away. So far away. I mean, there's still so much time left. We still don't really know very much at all. But to me, I just look at that as like it's the first time you should start looking at it, not draw any conclusions, but just look at it. I mean, uh, like, again, the Rays have had a tremendous season. Tremendous. They're three games in first place. I mean, if you listen to a lot of the talk, they're just running away with the division. They're up by three games over the Orioles. Now, the Blue Jays, it's still it's still early, but like the Blue Jays are nine back, which is nothing. Nine back in May is nothing. But it's if they don't get it done this year, then I'm officially jumping off the Blue Jay bandwagon. Not that I root for the Blue Jays, but I just looked, you know, a lot of people have been really high on the Blue Jays. They've got a lineup. Look, I got some fantasy Blue Jays, and, and, and I'm very pleased with them. I got Guerrero and Bichette, and they're doing very well. But as a team, it seems like they've got good arms. They seem like they have a closer. Like, 
if they don't get it done this year, then I, I think I'm going to stop picking the Blue Jays. Of course, they'll probably win it after that. That's kind of the way it works for me. But uh, I, I'm kind of officially off the Blue Jays, high on the Blue Jays, if they don't get it done this year. But anyway, we'll put that on the shelf and, and look forward uh, to that. I said, if you remember when I did my preview show, I picked Boston last, but I said in that division, that's the only division that I, I could see anybody anybody could win that division and it would not shock me. And even though the I picked them last, and they are last on May the 31st slash June the 1st, but they're a half a game behind the Blue Jays and they're two games over 500. I, I, did, I, I, I thought the Red Sox would be way better than what their lineup looked like it was going to be. And so far, it's panned out that way. We'll, we will see. In the um, American League Central, the Twins have some good pitching. Detroit got off to an awful start. They're on, they're two games back. That was surprising. Detroit has played much better. It, it kind of makes me feel a little better because the the Tigers own the Astros, so at least they're they're beating somebody else. Cleveland, I picked to win that division. They're only three and a half out, so they still may very well win that division. But um. They're six games under 500. They should be better than that. They just don't score enough runs. I picked the White Sox third, and and I kind of was saying, man, maybe I'm shortchanging them. Uh, but they're only six out, and they got off to a horrible start. So if I'm a White Sox fan, I'm feeling pretty good, actually. I got off to a terrible start, and I'm only six out. I'm, what, 11 games under 500, and I'm only six out. And I don't know how he's going to do, but they just got their closer back from cancer like yesterday or the day before. So we'll see how he does. But if he becomes an effective closer, then that really makes their bullpen better. And um, Aloy Jimenez has been on the IL almost all season, and he finally got back. So if he starts hitting to his potential – I don't know. I, I think that division's pretty wide open other than the Royals, who were only 11 and a half back, which is not too far back. But they they uh, they just, I don't know what their problem is. They just, they seem like they have more talent than a 17 and 39 record. But they have been playing better lately. Just won a series against the Cardinals and an and one against the Padres. Okay, the Astros division, um, I was very high on Seattle. They're seven and a half back. That's nothing. They're, you know, we're still in late May. Seven and a half is nothing. But they haven't played well. They're only a game under over 500. I certainly don't watch all their games. Uh, I follow them kind of like some teams from afar. Uh, I don't I, – I, I, I still would think that they would make a run in the second half of the season. We'll see. But right now they're in second to last place, and the Rangers are in first place. Look, I was worried about the Rangers. The Rangers have spent a lot of money over the last two years, and they've got a lot of good players. Nathan Abaldi is off to a great start. You know, if they get anything out of DeGrom, with the way Abaldi's pitching and Gray and, and all the runs they score, their run differential is plus 132. It's better than the Rays. You remember all the home runs the Rays hit? And all them runs they were scoring, the the Rangers have the best run differential in all of baseball. So, 
Uh, the Astros have their hands cut out for them. I still think the Mariners are really good. I'm not buying the little MVPs, Dawson's little MVPs. They got a plus five run differential. Uh, I'm still not buying them and their bullpen and all that. But they've had an okay season so far. But I, I think the Rangers are real. I'm not saying they're going to win the division. We'll see. But I think they're real. And I think Seattle is still real. I think Seattle's underachieved. They'll do better. All right, the National League East, the Marlins. I, I, I am Jesus Lazardo. I, I really think that guy's good, and he's off to a pretty good start. The Marlins typically fall off, but they're you know they're they're hanging in there. The Braves got off to a fabulous start, and they've kind of come back to earth. The Mets are. If I'm a Mets fan, I'm ecstatic. I've had a bad start to the season based on my preseason expectations, and I'm four games out. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to win. I'm just saying they're, they're only four games out. I wasn't as I, – I, I had some serious doubts whether the Phillies could bounce back after that surprise run to the World Series last year. And I, I did not pick them first or second, even though a lot of people did. Um, I picked them third – you know, they could still win the division. They're only six and a half out. If I'm a Phillies fan, I'm really excited because I didn't have Bryce Harper for most of the first half. I, I did not play all that well. And I'm only six and a half back. And again, it's not just they can make the World Series without winning the division. They've showed that last year. All they got to do is get in a wild card situation, which is too early to talk about wild card races. But 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 really, that's all they have to do. I would, I'll be surprised if Miami follows through with this. But the other thing that's surprising is, you know, the Nationals lineup looked as bad as the A's lineup about going in. The Nationals have actually competed pretty well for, a, for having a AAA lineup. You know, they're only nine games under 500, so they're actually competing pretty well. I'm a little surprised by that. All right, National League Central, again, the Cardinals got off to a horrific start. Awful. And, oh, they got to fire this guy. This guy's terrible. And get rid of this guy. They're four and a half games out of first place. They're in last place technically right now. I agree. They're four and a half games out of first place in their division, much less wild card. I mean, that's nothing. Folks, it's 162 games. I mean, that's nothing. Um, um, In the National League West, I picked the punks to win the division, even though I hate them. I heard all this Padre talk, Padre talk. Padres are eight games back. Now, does that mean they can't win the division? Of course it doesn't. Of course they can win the division. But their run differential right now is zero. Like, even. They scored the same amount of runs as they've given up. I just didn't trust the Padres being a good front runner. I, I just... When I was, I was like, I know everybody's picking the Padres and everybody's high on the Padres, and I understand why they got a lot of talent. But I said, the Punks is an underdog. Like, they might not even know what to do with themselves as an underdog. They've been a favorite for so long. So even though I can't stand the Punks, I picked them to win the division, and, and then here I am on May 31st, and they're in first place. Now, they're only a game and a half up on the Diamondbacks who have been, I guess you could say the surprise team, but I think a lot of people thought they had a chance to get better. Zach Gallen is really good. Like, Zach Gallen is the best pitcher in the major leagues that hardly no one knows about unless you're, like, into fantasy baseball or you're a big baseball fan. The average baseball fan probably has no idea who Zach Gallen is, and he is really good. 
like really, really good. Uh, the Cardinals had him. They just gave him away. They, they, they don't like good pitchers in St. Louis. But, um, but no, I, I, I guess the Padres are going to get hot. I mean, it's still very, very early. Uh, I don't buy the Giants. But and I don't know that the Diamondbacks will be there at the end. But they they got some. Merrill Kelly's good. Merrill Kelly's in my fantasy. He's good, and Zach Gallon's good. So wouldn't shock me if that happens. So uh, looking at the standings again, I think one of the things that's surprising, based on all the rhetoric you hear all year, is that the Cardinals are four and a half games out of first place. I, I didn't know that they were really that close. Uh, and. You know, the the Rays, and that's why every game you want to stack as many wins as you can. You got to just stack wins. I don't think the Astros are playing great, but if you just stack as many wins as you can, then, um, you know, the Astros are, haven't come close to peaking yet. I, I, I just think they're kind of still just kind of playing around a little bit. But they're 10 games over 500. And why are they 10 games over 500? Because what what do I ask every ser- going into every series? Don't get swept. How many times have the Astros been swept this year? It's, is it still zero? Zero. And the reason why they're 10 games over, not, have they played well? No. Do they have lineup issues? Yes. Do they have pitching issues? Yes. But they haven't been swept. And... All, the, all it takes is one winning streak, and now you're 10 games over 500 and in pretty good shape. It's amazing. Just don't get swept. Boy, I lo- when they listen to me, it works so much better. I love it. All right, we'll take a timeout. UL softball coach Jerry Glasgow on the other side. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us UL softball coach Jerry Glasgow. Are you hanging in there, coach? Hello? Wait. Yeah, absolutely, Kevin. I hit the mute button back. All right. No, 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 no problem. All right. So, uh, you know, when the season ends, you know, you, you all, you prepare all season and it's such a, a long kind of journey of you know we talked about all the decisions and the ups and downs and then when it ends it's so abrupt uh how how, how have you kind of handled that you know it, it i've been so busy like literally i've been in the office the last couple mornings at 6 a.m you know i'm getting up at 4 30 waking up worrying about stuff and this is people don't realize but like the week after season is probably busier than the last week of season or at least it is for me because you you know you've got so much going on and and so I've been like getting in here in the office getting after it the last couple of days trying to get my feet on the ground and move from last year to next year and and deal with all the things you have to deal with and and to keep the program where you want it to be. I would think exit interviews are pretty time consuming. Like how long does that take? <clears throat> well, I move my exit interviews. We're doing most of those the next couple of days. I start tomorrow. 
I felt like I needed, you know, 48 to 72 hours just to reflect on the season and kind of, uh, you know, kind of let people know um, what what I'm thinking after I thought about it. Yeah. Not after I'm thinking about it. <laughs> so I've been reflecting on the season and, and you know, there's been some kids, you know, that just don't have time. They're going out of town. they got to go home. You know, we had kids leave with emergency, family emergencies, different things going on. So, but the majority of those extra interviews will be the next couple of days. And I just want to take my time and really get my grasp of what my mind thinks about last year and then going forward into next year. Obviously, the games in, in Seattle are over. Um what 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 was the thing? I, you know, you never know. Like we were just talking about it. Koki was just talking about what LSU. The LSU didn't get any hits at runners in score position. You never know when that's going to happen. I mean, you hope you're going to get hits at runners in score position, but you never really know. Is that the thing that surprised you the most? Or what? Looking back on those two games, what what would you say surprised you the most based on what your expectations were going in? Yeah, I think the. I didn't expect to get shut out based on, you know, you scored however many runs the last two games at LSU. But you also are making a cross-country road trip. You know, your your practice routine's totally disrupted. And then the moment's huge. And we have, you know, that's why I think maybe the inexperience, um, the postseason inexperience there probably played a little bit of a role. That's not their pitcher pitched really good. Uh, game one, uh, I thought I thought Ruby Malin was really good, and that played a big role. And then you know when you when you get into a when your hitting starts to slump a little bit, then it's very easy to keep spiraling. And but I think the biggest thing is just the, the experience and the setting. I think I've heard two or three of the kids say we let the moment get really big, um, and I think that's where you build on this next year and it puts you in a lot better position. You know, we hadn't been in that super regional environment since I'd been here. And so that was huge for us to get there, I think, but we got to build on that and we got to handle those expectations and the moment better next time. And I think that's, that's what I'm hearing from the players, what they feel. Um, as you know, we we talked about Megan going in, and obviously she pitched. That was one of the highlights of the two games. The way Megan pitched and finished out her career, tremendous. So it was just a tremendous effort by Megan. Give us every opportunity to win the game. I mean, we had we were zero for eight with runners in scoring position, and and that's something we take a lot of pride in. But we didn't get the hits that day, and we hit some balls really hard right at people, and they made some really good defensive plays. So you took your hat to them a little bit, but like we had, you know, I always say we get nine hits, we win. And we had seven and hit several balls hard. We just, it just didn't go. You know, there was a runner on second, and Sophie Piscos hit a ball up the middle that I thought was absolutely a hit up the middle. And the Washington shortstop made a really good play on that. And, and that was the RBI that I thought she would have got that against 99% of the other shortstops in the country with that particular play. And that particular day, the shortstop made a great play on it. Just examples of – but Megan gave us that opportunity, and it was really neat to see her go out there and have a tremendous outing with a lot on the line, you know. And, uh, she, you know, she had 
she just had a really good day for us. Um, the fact that I asked Bobby this yesterday, was it with the fact that their number two pitcher was left-handed? Did you think that gave you more trouble, or is it just not getting a hit? In, in a, or was it the fact that she was left-handed against some of you, you know, against Carly and and Maya and Lauren and Laney, who didn't have as good of games as we typically see them do? Yeah, I, I don't really have the answer. I don't think we, I mean, we had the hits off of her, but like the first inning we had runners, I think it's second and third or first and third. And both Lauren and Carly struck out back to back. And that might've played, that might've definitely been a role there. The left-hand pitcher, the first at bat, the first time they saw her. I mean, I couldn't, re- I couldn't tell you, I don't know if they ever struck out back to back the entire season. And, and I, I kind of doubt that they did. Neither one of them. I mean, Lauren only had six strikeouts going into that game for the whole year. She just doesn't strike out. And Carly had more home runs than strikeouts this year, which is a tremendous accomplishment in itself. So they're not kids prone to strike out. They just got on that. And then later in the game, they both hit the ball really well. So, you know, we just didn't get the hit when we need it. And, and that's – I don't really – I don't think the fact she was left or right-handed meant that much. I think that we hit her way better than we hit the right-handed freshman the first day. So we just didn't get the hit when we needed it. All right, Coach. So I understand we'll we'll see what happens with the results of the exit interviews and all that. But in terms of your signing class uh, coming into next year, who are some of the players from your signing class that could make an impact next year as fans start to look forward to next season? Yeah, you know, the signing class is small right now. The, the incoming class is, uh, you know, Gabby Stutes, local right here. Uh, her, she's a shortstop at St. Thomas More and had a tremendous high school career. Uh, phenomenal, just a really phenomenal young person and fun to be around, fun to talk to, uh, with a left-handed hitter with potential. And... We'll let her grow up in the program and just see where her development takes her. But we think that she's going to help us in a lot of ways uh, with leadership. And and I think that time is what's going to determine ultimately how she's very powerful. She's not a real uh, tall. She's not a great big physical athlete. She's very strong and she's very explosive. So we'll just see where, where we get to with that. And I don't know whether you know. I hope she can help us next year, but we'll, I don't. I don't want to put pressure or expectations on anybody. And uh, but we're extremely excited to have her joining our program. And she, you know, she's a local kid. Her dad played baseball for uh, UL and the Raging Cajuns, so they know they've been around the program. And um, it's going to be exciting to have a local kid on our team. That's that's really neat. Then we've got uh, Lillian Soto, who's from Ruston, Louisiana. Her dad was a baseball. Uh, star for Louisiana Tech, the way I understand it. And I think the, in 2000, when Louisiana went to the World Series, um, Lillian's dad won the home run derby. Yes, I remember and, that, uh, yeah. Like, yeah, UL TJ. fans and LSU fans were assigned to root for him as he won the home run derby. Yeah. I heard, yes. I heard uh, Lillian's grandpa actually told me the story about how loud the LSU and and Louisiana Raging Cajun fans at Omaha were cheering for his son, who was just from Ruston, northern Louisiana, but uh, he said it was a neat experience to see all the Louisiana fans come together and cheer for one thing. But 
anyway, that's that's all about her dad. But she's a really powerful right hand hitter, a uh, throwback, I think, uh, to the type of players that have played at Louisiana and Raging Cajun program over the last you know twenty thirty years. Uh, she's she's um, got tremendous power and very quick hands, and we're excited to see how good a hitter she can develop into here in her time at Louisiana. Um, you know, we got so many starters back next year. It's going to be really a tough. I don't think you want to put pressure on any freshman to have to make that lineup. So I don't want to put expectations on them. It's going, I can just tell them it, it will be a battle to get in the lineup. So we got but so but many isn't there a pitcher that, that, that could be, be fit that bill? Well, I was getting to, we have a transfer, Sam Ryan, coming in, who pitches for the Canadian national team, uh, had an outstanding junior college career at Chattanooga State University in Tennessee, kind of lightly recruited out of high school and then kind of blew up in, the, in those following two years, took, took Chattanooga State to the national championship and then signed out of junior college, signed with Connecticut. But when she got there, the pitching coach had left, and so she left. Um, you know, the first semester when the pitching coach left, she decided to go on the portal, and we picked her up, and she'll have two years left to pitch for us, and we expect her to be a major, major contributor. Well, that that certainly sounds like a lot to look forward to, and then obviously, you know, we'll, you'll have plenty of returners back, and um, we'll see how that plays out. Well, Coach, we appreciate your time all season long. It was a lot of good things that happened out of this season, I'm sure, when you reflect back on it, and um We'll see what happens in the near future. Thank you very much, sir. Enjoy. Try to enjoy and relax some this summer. I know you don't. You're not too good at the relaxing part, but hopefully you get some of that uh-huh. done. But the one thing that I'm really excited about, you know, Maya Davis and Lauren Allred when they left, they come through the office and like, Coach, we are we are going to Oklahoma City next year. We're not going. We're not falling short. We're going next year. I was really excited to hear them verbalize that out loud with cockiness and very determined voices so that's an exciting thing and so i'm just trying to do my part i want to get i want to get everything in order here before i take a break for the summer all righty sir thank you again very much thank you this is footnotes on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station your home for the lsu tigers and houston astros are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. The little MVPs. The little MVPs. Now, a Major League Baseball team that struggles to win games despite having multiple MVP winners on its roster. Also known as the Los Angeles Angels. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foot. And footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. All right, so we, you know looked at the major league standings for the first time. We wrapped up the Cajun softball season. We tried to exp- to kind of make some sense of what's going on in baseball on the pitching side and, and illustrate that. Talked some NBA finals and, um, you know, did, did, did quite a bit today. Even talked a little bit about the Saints with the John Gruden 
Derek Carr's situation, which, by the way, I, we may not have time to go for it. I, I, I've seen a few people, including Jeremy Fowler, include the Saints on this DeAndre Hopkins situation. I don't think he's coming to the Saints, but would you cut flips if he went to the Saints, or what What? what, what, what would you think of that? It'd be exciting. I think it's silly where you're getting reports right now, like it said, oh, um, Deshaun Watson excite, like would, would want to re- reunite with DeAndre Hopkins. Okay, so would like almost any team would want DeAndre Hopkins like to play for them. I just think it's funny. We've got like official reports that's like, oh, this quarterback thinks DeAndre Hopkins would fit well with their offense. Well, yeah, of course he would. I mean, <laughs> if he's the guy that he was, you know, yeah. now I guess there's a little more concern than there has been in the past with his injury history recently, but yeah, I mean, I'd be great. I'd go, I'd go, I'd be all for it. Yeah, I don't, I don't see that happening. I but. don't either. Um, I, you know, the Buffalo makes sense. What worries me, I just don't want him to go to, like, the Falcons or the Ornals. Yeah, I don't see why he, why if it's up to him, why he would want to go to Atlanta. Um, but it's possible. And, and, and you start to – this Carolina thing's interesting to me, and we'll have plenty of time to get into this as the season gets closer. But, like, I think Carolina's got the, the roster that could that could challenge the Saints in the division. I just don't know. Oh, no question. If but if they go with Bryce Young, then I then I don't think they will. I just don't think a rookie will be ready to win. But if Andy Dalton plays, you know, at the level he played with the Saints, or maybe a little better than that, their roster is getting you know it's 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 interesting to me. That, that's something to keep an eye on. I think. Let's hope not. I sure I sure hope not. But you know, Buffalo, the Chiefs. I even saw someone speculate the Dolphins. Man, can you imagine? I mean, if he went to Miami, like two of them, if he plays, might not have any choice but to be good with all that receiving talent that they've got going on down there. So we'll see how how all of that plays out. So covered a lot, quite a lot. Oh, look, it's going to – I don't know. I may be – doing an interview tomorrow the next day we'll try to i don't know exactly how all that's going to play out over the next few days going down to miami we don't have time to get into this but did i see like there's a disturbance in the gulf is that real i didn't see or that. did i dream that I, I didn't see it but i'm not saying it's not real i think i i heard someone say there's disturbance in the gulf like please say we're not all about to go down to miami to watch the rainfall like, that might happen. So who knows what's about to happen. Just pray for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to need it, I'm afraid. We'll see how all of that plays out and how the, if the Cajuns can follow up on that great Sunbelt Conference tournament. Y'all have a nice day.